Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopech coming to you from Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, as we do each and every Tuesday evening. A little bit lighter crowd, but happy to be back. Dr. Frey, how you making out? Great, as always. So we've covered a wide variety of topics so far on this podcast. We've had a couple of knee episodes, a couple ankle, foot foot and ankle episodes, a couple soft tissue. Yeah, we've even gotten to some, you know, cardiac arrest uh, topics. Uh, but this will be our first opportunity to dive into the hip. Yeah. So a um, little bit of a black box, kind of a complicated area and a lot of crossover between different problems and entities. They all seem to present fairly similarly. But however, we got ourselves our hip guru, one of our studs here. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Jeff Murray. Thanks, guys. I appreciate uh, you guys having me back on again to have another interesting conversation about one of the professional athletes that's now out of the game and getting surgery to see if we can't answer some questions on hip pathology. So we're going to be talking about Anthony Rendon tonight. Um, so at, that's, at this point, Dr. Murray, you're actually kind of solidifying yourself as our baseball expert as well. <laughs> yeah, it seems that that seems to be the common common theme, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, at this point, we know Anthony Rendon shut down for the season, you know, diagnosed with a right hip impingement, and certainly did not live up to his $245 million contract. Uh, finished the season with, uh, you know, only playing in 58 games, six home runs, 34 RBIs. You know, he, he earned that contract through his, you know, earlier career with the Nationals, you know, drafted sixth overall, made an all-star appearance in 2019, um, but has been a bit injury played, uh, you know, this season, which kind of led down, him down this road of needing to, you know, undergo further testing. He spent some time on the DL, uh, left hamstring strain, uh, left groin strain, knee contusion, which, you know, you can't really avoid. But we now know at this point through MRI testing, uh, right hip impingement. Um, and this is now a, a topic. Newer entity. That, yeah, yeah. A, a newer, so we haven't even, you know, gotten into this aspect of things yet. But Dr. Murray, help, help us kick this off and, you know, tell us the, you know, the background on the hip. So the hip and the area around the hip and pelvis, low back is, can be very complex with a lot of, as you know, Dr. Frey kind of alluded to earlier, is, you know, a lot of crossover between different pathologies and can often be difficult to decipher where pain's coming from or what the true generator of pain is. So that has, you know, led us down to the path to learning more over the years about uh, hip impingement. Um, you know, hip impingement basically is an entity where there is extra bone uh, either on the femur side of the hip um, or uh, the pelvis side of the hip. So, you know, if you consider the ball and socket, you could have extra bone either on the ball portion or on the socket portion, and oftentimes a combination of the two. And when you have that extra bone, when you get to closer extremes of motion, um, it will cause those two areas to impinge on each other. Bang right and, into each other. And then the unfortunate part is that situated basically between those two areas is what's called the hip labrum, which is kind of like a gasket around the edge of the socket that helps keep a tight suction seal for the hip. And so that, with that impingement and banging off of each other, oftentimes gets damaged and can be torn secondarily from this uh, entity. S similar similar kind of structural uh, to the shoulder, 
because the last time we had you on, we you know we were talking about Fernando Tatis and we talked about this posterior subluxation. I know the the labrum came up a lot in, in that conversation. Batter's shoulder, right? Right. right. Uh, and and I want to say, in that show, I know you're you happen to be an Atlanta Braves fan, and you know Jason asked us, you know, what what kind of level? Uh, you know, we were talking about Fernando Tatis, and we were you know what, what kind of level athlete is this? Who else in the game is kind of on that level? And your answer? Ronald Acuna. <laughs> and where is Ronald Acuna right now? On his couch, rehabbing <laughs> his ACL. Oh, Thanks for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Sorry. But all right, Braves, I still believe, are a game and a half ahead of the Phillies in the uh, NL East. And, and a well, two and a half ahead of the Mets. So. God, yeah. <laughs> Understood. But getting back to it, it, it this, uh, compare the shoulder labrum to the, you know, to the to the hips. Structurally, makeup-wise, they're they're similar, but their function is somewhat different in the sense that the the shoulder has a lot. Uh, they both joints have a lot of free motion, but the hip is much more. When I mentioned a suction seal, it's much more of a tighter. The Congruous. ball and socket joint are really intertwined with each other, and that that labrum helps keep that tight connection whereas in the shoulder the, sh the ball and socket can move a little more independently of each other and that that labor more is just a little bit of a bumper mm -hmm. to keep the shoulder in place uh, compared to the hip is that why you typically hear more about shoulder dislocations versus hip dis dislocations 100 uh, percent yeah the the force needed to cause a hip dislocation is significantly right. higher than that and yeah, hip, hip dislocations are Pretty rare. Yeah, pretty yeah, rare, but also bad when it happens, right? You know? Yeah, Tua. Yeah. yeah. Bo Jackson, right? Right, right. Yeah. Bo Jackson, Tua, yeah. Tagliavoa. There's a, others out there, but not. But yeah, not the uh, tight end from Baltimore a couple of years ago, uh, Mark right. Andrews, I think. Mark right. Andrews, right, 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 right. Dislocated his, yeah. You know, and the way that I think about it, right, what what do, you, what do your legs do? What do your hips do? Like, they support your body weight. It has to be a more congruous joint, a very, very. Um, stable joint and you have great range of motion but it's not nearly as good as the range of motion for for your shoulder and your shoulder you know the way we evolved you, you know the advantages of your shoulder the purpose of your shoulder is really to be able to put your hand in space in all these different areas so the advantage of um having this kind of flat flatter less congruous joint in the shoulders that you have better range of motion of the shoulder the drawback is you're really relying on your soft tissues for some of that stability of the shoulder and, and I think that is one of the things that puts you at a lot of risk because you don't have this nice, um, deep, well-formed, or again, I keep using the word congruous joint, maintaining a lot of that stability. You actually have more of a, you know, a ball sitting on a golf tee, and then you have a soft tissue, this rubber bumper kind of hanging around the, around the, around the socket, around the golf tee, doing its best to keep that, that joint in place. Dr. Murray, so, uh, Anthony, in one of his press conferences following the release of the news, had mentioned that, you know, he was almost uh, relieved when the MRI came out because he said he didn't know, he didn't feel right all season. If you had a patient come into the office, what are the typical signs and symptoms that they're expressing to you? What, what was Anthony dealing with? Sure. Uh, and that can sometimes be a myriad of symptoms, which makes it difficult mm -hmm. to to narrow down and, and be sure that you're right on, on the right path. One of the most common things that uh, people talk about is when you, you ask the patient, person or patient to stand in front of you and say, where do you, you have pain? They'll kind of make a C with their hand 
and put that right on the side of their hip with their index finger kind of right down almost like groins on hip yeah right yeah. and kind of say it's kind of deep mm-hmm. in there yeah. um, and that can be a pretty common area to say but people will also get pain into their buttock mm-hmm. they'll get sometimes some radiating pain so it can be it can be difficult uh, but overall then on exam you'll see a lot of tightness in and around the hip when you flex the hip up and try to bring it kind of across your body and turn it a little bit you'll get a lot of resistance in that position that their emotion will be significant limited and will often cause significant pain with that some people will describe a catching sensation at mm-hmm. times inside the hip catching locking yeah giving way anything like that you know and it's interesting you, you, you talked about that that c sign where they you know they kind of grab the front and the back of their hip you know i, just, I read an article about um, how Anthony Rondone was describing his pain. He's like, it felt like there was a vice going from the front of my hip to the back of my hip, squeezing right across. And it's exactly like he's describing that C sign or people describe it. They grab the front, grab the back, and it hurts right, right, right here. They kind of try to squeeze it. At uh, one point, you know, he had in that same press conference mentioned, you know, for somebody that wasn't really spent a lot of time on the DL, he had a lot of soft tissue injuries. However, they were on the left side of the body. Mm-hmm. Is there a connection there? So that's kind of, you know, interesting. I, with these injuries around the hip and the mm-hmm. pelvis, so you think about impingement um, and labral pathology mm-hmm. around the hip, uh, oftentimes these core muscle injuries that we're hearing a lot about, yeah. sports hernia mm-hmm. yeah. type injuries, often all play in together, groin strains, hamstring strains, that all come down to overall tightness Mm -hmm. in that area. And you find that certain players may end up with one injury versus the other, but the general theme between all of them generally is tightness in that area. And that, you know, when you look at things like sports hernia and, you know, there's literature out on sports hernia that says, as high as 80 plus percent of patients with sports hernia will have signs of impingement on their x-rays. Right. And whether or not that needs to be treated is a whole nother conversation. But the fact that people with one entity have signs of the other on x-rays show that there's a very close intertwined network. And yet, maybe his left side was seeing more of that, Mm -hmm. but often these findings can be bilateral uh, on x-ray as well. And a lot of the other injuries we talked about so far on this podcast, we've you know, kind of review the the footage b- before we come on the air, and but th- this is something where there's not one specific instance. I mean, how, how does how does he get to where he is now? Is it just over time? Is it wear and tear? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a combination of of causes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, baseball, to be honest, is a, not the first sport you think of when you think of impingement. You know, right. you think of more the, the the sports that have really extremes of hip motion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's becoming more common in hockey, mm-hmm. hockey players, Very goalies much. especially, yeah. goalies, yeah. Um, soccer players, distance runners mm-hmm. that are, you know, putting a lot of strain on the hips often, you know, so it can be from overuse, especially during that growth period as we're younger, you know, as, as you're maturing and your bones are, are kind of forming, you know, we clearly see that there's changes in shoulders with overhead throwing athletes mm-hmm. during that period of time and the same thing can be be Without true for question. the hip right right that makes uh, a lot of sense there's also some predisposing factors that maybe some people have when at birth hip defects uh, you know uh, issues along those lines that obviously we're not going to be privy to whether anthony rendon had any of the mm-hmm. underlying stuff that could have yeah. helped 
lead him down this road. Like a back. slip capital femoral epiphysis? Or, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, you know, it's an injury that sometimes people will get when they're kind of uh, prepubescent, um, you know, 10, 11 years old, where where the growth plate sort of slips and then, you know, eventually heals into that position and then that puts them in a position where they're predisposed or, yeah, I guess predisposed is the right word, to developing this particular issue down the line. And then also there's probably a genetic component, you know. Um, you know, I think that um, 20 years ago before we were really uh, well aware of this particular entity, uh, femoral acetabular impingement as an entity, um, you know, there were people that would walk into the into the office and they're 40 years old or 45 years old and they have fairly significant arthritis. And, you know, I think the thought was, oh, man, you know, bad luck, bad genetics. And then in reality, you know, as we started to understand things a little bit better, those are probably the people that had FAI and they had it in their 20s or 25 or 30. And it started them down this pathway. And then, you know, if it's if it's not recognized or if it's not addressed or if it's not treated or if it's kind of, you know, overlooked or ignored, then, you know, they're, they're the guys that wind up at, you know, with fairly significant arthritis at 45 or 50, um, as opposed to at 60 or 70 when you would n more normally anticipate it. Obviously, we don't know how much uh, pain and discomfort Rendon was in, but let me paint a different scenario where the Angels are in the playoff race, um, you know, seasons a little bit, uh, you, you know, more meaningful, I guess you would say, as we know, Mike Trout. Trout's we, playing. You know, you know for, yeah, we, we had pretend. an episode pre-Memorial <laughs> Day where he first goes down. He's still not back. It looks like they're, you know, might be discounting this season as a loss. We don't know what type of pain he is in. Is this something that has to be done urgently, or do you typically see these and say we can wait till whenever? Urgent, no. Um, I, you know, I think it really depends on the player and the athlete mm -hmm. and the severity. There are some players that can get through the season with constant stretching therapy, you know, possibly steroid injection or PRP injection into the into the hip with the understanding that, yeah, we're probably going to have to get this taken care of in the offseason. Um, I think it sounds like from what we've, I've read mm -hmm. with him that he tried some of that yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in one of the articles he's quoted is saying when, a, when one of the you know, reporters asked him about how he thought things were going or whatever, he, he kind of <laughs> kiddingly made a comment, like, yeah, I really loved hitting 230 right. and playing right. in 50 games. Yeah. Right. So it sounds like with all those things, he still couldn't perform right. couldn't to where he was better than his replacement. Right. They know? tried the conservative route, but it wasn't working. Right. Yeah. So I, I think even if they were in the mm -hmm. race, I, don't, I think he was hurting the team more than he was helping, unfortunately. Yeah. So in this case, yeah. he, he probably would have shut it down regardless. regardless. Versus, like we talked about last time I was here with Tatis, was it the fifth time now that he's subluxed? Yeah. yeah. But now and, they and threw him in right field. Since, right. right. And he, the guy can still hit, the guy yeah. is still producing, and you're going to get him on the field any way yeah. you can. Yeah. If Tatis had this injury and then was hitting 230, right. it doesn't matter that they're in the game. They're going to shut him down and just yeah. get it fixed because. He's not. I, I feel like other sports, maybe you can you can get away with it a little more. I, um, and, and, and you know, again, this is a little bit unusual for a baseball player. It's it's you know, um, it's it's more common in some other sports. Baseball also tends to be it's, it's a very precise sport. Really, you know, the margin of error for baseball is is minuscule. And if something's throwing off his swing just slightly, you know, he's got this he's got this pain every time he uh, every time he swings or every time. 
that, that little disruption to his normal swing or his natural swing could be enough to, you know, derail the season, you know, completely, you know, disrupt his numbers on the year. So in some of the other sports, maybe you're able to get by and just kind of muddle through despite the pain and whatnot. But because baseball is such a precise, precise sport in order to perform, you know, he tried it, wasn't able to do it. No. But in a lot of other sports, I feel like hockey's the big one where at the end of the season, you know, all of these guys yeah. go and get this taken care of. They, they get kind of work their way through the season, muddle their way through. And at the end of the year, they get it taken care of in the off season. Dr. Murray, take us inside the operating room a little bit. Um, you know, what are you, you know, with that patient on the table? How does that procedure go? Uh, generally, at this, you know, point in time, almost exclusively, this this is handed uh, arthroscopically or through small incisions around the hip. Mm -hmm. Unless it's a really big cam right. or something. Yeah. Uh, but that's not as simple as when you talk about the shoulder or the knee where we just kind of put a little water in, into the joint and make small incisions mm -hmm. and stick a camera in there. In order to get inside the hip and look around, you have to break that suction seal that mm -hmm. we talked about. So the hip actually has to be surgically dislocated. So then we can go in and, and, and take a look. So you go in initially, take a look inside the hip joint, mm -hmm. look at the cartilage around there, make sure there's no damage to the cartilage on the inside portion of the how, joint. So so just to be clear, how, how is that surgical dislocation? Because you know, there's open surgical dislocation versus arthroscopic. So, so just to be clear, kind of describe what, 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 what you mean by that. So basically the, you know, Subluxation. The, yeah, the, the, the surgical leg is, is placed into a, a boot basically yeah. and tension is pulled across that leg until under x-ray you see the the, the hip kind of separate yeah. out yeah. and, wow. and gives, gives you a little bit of room to work in there yeah and uh so you go inside the joint and from inside the joint again you can see the cartilage around the acetabulum or the socket you can see the cartilage on the top of the femoral head and make sure that there's no issues there and then you look really closely at that labrum which like we talked about can be the secondary thing that gets damaged with this impingement when you look at the labrum there's options with that. You can either just debride it or just mm -hmm. kind of clean it up a little bit. You can stitch it back together, put, you know, repair it. Um, and then the final answer is if it's too damaged, there is what's called a labral reconstruction where you have to take tissue from somewhere else and create basically a new labrum with that, which is obviously the most extreme uh, in those treatment options. Once the inside portion of the joint is taken care of, then the hip is relocated. And then you look at the outside portion and I guess what I should mention is while it's uh, dislocated and you're worried about the labral pathology the labrum often sits on that what we call pincer area that could be if there's any extra bone on the acetabular or socket side and that would be addressed at that time as well where shave the bone you down shave that down and get rid of that portion of the extra bone once all that's taken care of and the hips then relocated then you look at that cam side of it or the side that's on the femoral side which is the more common for male athletes and, and likely more common of what, you know, Anthony may have going on here. Yeah. And then you then shave that down and contour that uh, down, which has its risks associated with it. The, the blood sure. vessels that feed the, the hip are very close to that mm -hmm. area and in rare cases can be damaged, yeah. which would be catastrophic for him. He'd end up with a hip replacement. Uh, if you take too much bone, there's a risk of then developing a stress fracture in that area. So it's a delicate mm -hmm. thing, and it's not done by every sports med doc out mm -hmm. there. Uh, there's, there's, it's more and more are starting to do it mm -hmm. as it gets, you know, more mainstream. But mm -hmm. historically, there's a handful of guys that are 
the, the guys people. to go through right. and get this done and the guys that somebody like Anthony Rendon would see. He's not not every team doc for every pro team does hip arthroscopy right. because it's a very precise procedure and takes a lot of experience and a lot of reps to get good at. So I, and I think you said two really good things there, which is the first time it, in this uh, little conversation, it's, uh, it entered the conversation. You said, you, you said cam and pincer. So for femoral acetabular impingement, FAI, so impingement at the hip. Um, and then, you know, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. And Jeff described a little bit earlier, that's the, the femur, the thigh bone, banging into the acetabulum, the socket. And it usually happens for one of two reasons. If there's, and, and Jeff described this, if there's extra bone or an extra deep socket or the socket, instead of pointing a little bit forward, instead of points a little bit backwards. Um, so, or the, at the front of the socket, there's a little extra overhanging bone. So when someone brings their leg up, the front of their thigh bone bangs into that socket. That's called pincer. So you have extra bone on the acetabular side. And then the other, reason this will frequently happen is if there's supposed to be a little bit of a recess in the uh, femoral neck where, where there's a little bit of room for the acetabulum to, to glide into as someone brings their leg up. But if there's a little bony prominence where there's otherwise normally supposed to be a recess, that bony prominence will bang into the, again, bang into the acetabulum. They'll, they'll, they'll impact each other where they're not supposed to, hence femoral acetabular impingement. And then what lives in between those is the, is the labrum. And so that labrum becomes a subject to tear. So that's one of the other reasons why another a player may not make it through the season, right? If you have some degeneration or partial tearing, um, sometimes you can get through your season. If you have a frank tear or displaced tear, part of the labrum flops into the joint, that can be a real issue. Like, like it, your, your, your hip is locking, it's extreme pain. You, 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 it literally gets stuck and, and you, you have zero chance of getting through the season in that scenario. You just gotta go, go ahead and fix that. And the other thing that happens sometimes, typically the way we think about it is normally it's just younger male athletes are the ones that are more, a little more likely to have that cam type impingement, whereas a little bit middle-aged female athletes are the ones that are a little more likely to have that pincer impingement. Usually they have a combination of both, to be honest with you. It's usually combined. Um, but in that cam type variety, lots of times that labral tear will then turn, the labrum kind of smoothly goes right into the cartilage. And if it's not addressed, that labrum tear could turn into delaminating or wearing away or peeling back of the cartilage that's on the inside of the socket. And that becomes a whole nother issue, a much more challenging issue to resolve. Much like our other episodes, I feel like the more we talk about the injury itself, uh, the more we realize that, you know, a secondary episode on just the rehab portion is just as important. But he had the surgery this week that puts us about six months away from uh, spring training 2022, which Anthony has mentioned that he fully expects to be there and ready to go. Appropriate timeline, in your opinion? Yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable to say, you know, six months. I'd say, you know, average is somewhere probably between that four month to six mm -hmm. month, you know, four months being on the short end and six being being the long. Early on, postoperatively, mm -hmm. plus or minus a brace. Some people, mm -hmm. you know, brace for a short period of time, some don't. Yeah. Um, what you're limited to do early on is based on those things we talked about as far as what they did with the labrum. Did they just debride it? Did they fix it? Did they do a reconstruction? And then also what bony work was done. Did right. they have to take a big cam down, things like that? You're going to protect their weight bearing a little longer for those other reasons we fracture. talked about. Right. You don't want to worry about that stress fracture. So early on, it may be a little different. But long term, I think your ultimate return to play is pretty similar regardless of, of what of those procedures you get done. 
it's somewhere in the neighborhood of four plus months yeah. um, to return to, to higher level activities yeah. um, and sporting activities. So the timeline adds up, and I think the, the big question now then becomes, does he get back to the level that got him that contract with the Angels? Did we the see the Rendon? question. Yeah. yeah. You know, did, did, we, did we see the 2019 All-Star World Series champion Rendon? I think this injury with its, like Steve was saying, relatively newer understanding, Right. I don't know that we fully know yet. Um, and also baseball being less likely. Right. You know, in all honesty, we, we were talking off air here that you don't think of baseball, so you don't think about the literature with hips associated with baseball. So I actually had to look a little bit in to yeah. see what there was. And, you know, you find literature from a few years back from one of the hip original gurus mm -hmm. on specifically college and pro baseball players that he operated on. 44 in 12 years. Yeah. So, and he's probably doing more scopes, more hip scopes than probably anybody, anybody in the country, country at that point. especially at that point in time. Right. Yeah. So, not that common in the yeah. baseball player. Um, a very high percentage return to play. He, most of what you read, 80, 80 plus percent return to play. The yeah. question becomes, do they return at the level they were? And that's a little blurry. Yeah. Um, you know. A lot of the baseball players, though, when you look at the literature, it's a lot of pitchers, and it's their lead leg. Even when the hitters, it's their lead leg where they're turning into that more. Right. This is his trail leg. Yeah. It is not the same. Yeah. So does that give him a little more leeway mm -hmm. to get back to his prior level? Um, he you would, so. You would think, yeah. <laughs> you would think that, yeah, it might because it's the less common, which means it's probably under less strain if it's less common, right? The more right. common ones are the ones because... That's why it happens. Gets, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So this isn't, you know, where it's a freak, like you said, one yeah. play. Right. This is a overtime yeah. thing, you know, that, that happens. So it's obviously that thing repeatedly getting hit or injured. It sounds like he's trying to avoid going on record stating whether or not. Uh, it really know. sounds like <laughs> yeah. that to me. He's dodging the question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Dr. Murray. dodging it very well, I might add. As our new, uh, you know, solidified b baseball expert. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, from a non-medical, uh, you know, view of things. What did you think of the uh, Field of Dreams game? I think it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, most watched non-playoff baseball game in, what, 15 years or yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. So, it obviously, yeah. you know, it, it, it hit home. Mm -hmm. Being a Philly guy, I was split in time between right. you know, Jalen Hurts' <laughs> preseason debut and because they were the same night. Yeah. But, uh um, I can honestly say I didn't watch a ton of the game, mm -hmm. but I watched all the uh, you know pregame activities and you know Costner's seeing Ken Costner the, coming out and you know yeah. seeing the players emerge from the cornfields. I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time. So just yeah. you know, kind of seeing it come to life a little bit. Yeah, was, and that, that's what baseball has, right? You know, it's yeah. Americana, like, like, yeah. like, like, and that's the you know the, what they really need to publicize and hold on to. So it's a good idea. It was, yeah. it was a good idea to go down that road. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they've already scheduled that they're going to do it next year. They yeah. haven't decided who right. yet. But uh, I've been seeing something. Now they're just thinking, where else can we do it? Like, we'll, we'll recreate a sand lot and there you you go. Know, do it there. <laughs> <laughs> Last one for you, just because we don't know when we're going to have you back on. Tyler <laughs> Gilbert, um, Arizona Diamondbacks, throws a no-hitter in his major league debut. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Well, so oh. it was major league first start. First he start. He yeah. some, yeah. okay. some relief yeah. games. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but I mean, so first time in history of baseball that that's been done. Was it? I thought it, I thought it was like the first time in like fifty years. Yeah, there were a couple in like eighteen ninety yeah. and stuff like that that I read about. But you oh, know, maybe I read a very different one. long yeah. time. Yeah, right. for sure. Um, yeah. How do you top that? <laughs> well, yeah, crazy and really cool that his parents yeah. were in the stands. Right. I mean, that's right. pretty neat to be able to see that. You know, although if you follow baseball in the sense, you do see sometimes these pitchers when they first come up, yeah. they're a little more dominant than yeah. they may be a couple weeks in because nobody's right. got a book on them That's yet. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so, not to take anything away sure. from throwing no it's still an unbelievable right. thing. Right. But you, you have a little bit of that now, there's film. in your There's film thing. out there now. Yeah. You know, there's totally juiced. He's there's, so excited are, at that point. And yeah. You know, you think about when they start then talking about, oh, yeah. the last guy to throw, mm -hmm. you know, a no-hitter, you're like, I don't even remember that guy pitching, right? right like, it's right. not the Maddox, the Glavin, <laughs> yeah. the, mm -hmm. you know, the Randy Johnsons, yeah. the, like, you mean, some of yeah. those too. But I was reading a list that there was guys like Maddox and Glavin that never threw right. no-hitters. Clemens never threw a no-hitter. Like, right. so, you know, um, it's impressive. Impressive, for sure. Yeah. A little bit of Bullfrog, a little bit of Pelican. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we'll, get to, we'll get Greg Burke back on here and tell us how he did it, you know? <laughs> yeah, relating to a previous podcast. Sure. Yeah. Greg Burke was on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. The legend? The legend, yeah. Dr. Merrick, thanks for listening to all our episodes. Um, yeah, I missed, that was the one I missed. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> well, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap things up for this evening. Before we go ahead and close out our tab, we want to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics, with our eight locations and our focused on you approach, covering all of your orthopedic needs, the Energy Lab, the region's premier sports performance destination, Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, of course, for hosting us each and every week, and our good friends at Timber Reel Productions, Joe Warner, our on-site producer, Kyle Miller, editor. Dr. Frey, Dr. Mary, this was fun. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks thank for you. coming back, buddy. Thanks See for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>